Good morning, Cornerstone. Just a quick announcement here before I start. The men's retreat uh, this fall at Moose River Outpost is, is on, so I'll be sending out some information on that very shortly, and hopefully many of you men will register and join us for that. Uh, Jamie Simpson's church will be joining this, us this year, and possibly Garrett Susie's church, or just Garrett as well. Today the message is, is on Amnon and Tamar and Absalom. And uh, there are things about the future that we would like to know ahead of time, if possible. Of course, good things like who am I going to marry? Uh, what, would I be, what will I be doing for a career? If you're investing in the stock market for retirement, it sure would be good to know what stocks are going to go up and which ones are going to go down. I think that's cheating, but it'd be, it'd be nice to know those things ahead of time. But there are other things that we are glad we don't know. Um, health issues that may come to us, the death of a loved one, a tragic accident, some family crisis. Um, it wouldn't be good if we know these things are looming before us and, and going to happen any day. The case with David here in 2 Samuel chapter 13 is just that, that because of his sin and God's judgment on him, for what he did with Bathsheba and Uriah, uh, he knows that tragedy is coming to his home. He knows already through the prophet Nathan that his son by Bathsheba is going to die. And that is only a prelude to the coming storm. 2 Samuel 12:10. just to go back there again and re reiterate this, Nathan said to David, Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house, David, because you have despised me and have given the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. You have taken her. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house. So the main lesson um, I want to draw from this chapter is that a little leaven leavens the whole family. David's wicked seeds that he has sown are going to produce a crop of poison ivy in his family. How did David's sin affect his family? We'll look at three things here today. David's sin gave license to his son to do likewise. Amnon will violate his sister Tamar. Absalom will murder Amnon. Secondly, David's sin scarred his innocent daughter the, the last word on Tamar in the Bible is that she was left desolate. Thirdly, David's sin tore apart his family. The division and the damage was irreparable. So that should be all the warning that we need to flee from immorality, to obey God's word. When God fences in his sheep and... and uh, says that sexual relations are only for one man and one woman in marriage, that's not a punishment. Those are boundaries that he sets up for our safety and for our good. All of David's heartache were the result of his unbridled lust. It was like he brought a, a rattlesnake into his house and that venom bit and poisoned every member of his family. Second Samuel Chapter 13, verse 1. Now Absalom, David's son, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. And after a time, Amnon 
David's son loved her. He, he, he actually lusted after her. He didn't love her in the true biblical sense of, of scriptural love. He loved her body. Amnon was the crown prince. He's the oldest of David's sons in line for the throne. Tamar is the sister of his third oldest son, Absalom. And uh, the second in line, Chiliab, uh, there's not really much said about him in Scripture. And it would almost appear that, that he died early, that he's not around at this time. And so Absalom is actually second in line to the throne, it would seem. And Amnon was so tormented that he made himself ill because of his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin, and it seemed impossible to Amnon to do anything to her, to do anything to her. He wanted to do to her what David did to Bathsheba. He is so obsessed with her beauty that she is all that he can think about and dream about. There's nothing else on his mind. She's become an idol to him. He is so obsessed with her that he can't eat, he can't sleep, he's losing weight. Um, It's never a good thing to obsess over someone else. He has a a best friend who's a cousin named Jonadab, and this guy is a, a crafty serpent. He's a cunning fox, and he immediately knows when he learns why his friend is, is so ill, he has a sinister plot for a way to get uh, what, what Amnon wants here, to get Tamar. So he tells him to, look, just pretend that you're sick. And when your father comes to visit you, you, you ask him, uh, please send my sister Tamar to make some cakes for me and feed them to me. And uh, when that happens... Whether she's willing or not, you grab her and she's yours. And Amnon thought that's a great plan. So verse 6, Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. And when the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, Please let my sister Tamar uh, come and make a couple of cakes in my sight that I may eat from her hand. And without even thinking, without any discernment at all, David agrees to this. He becomes an unwilling accomplice to a violent crime against his daughter. And that will haunt him, I'm sure, the rest of his life. So Tamar comes to Amnon's house. She makes the little cakes or the little loaves of bread, whatever it was. As she's about finished cooking it, he sends all the servants out of the house. Then he calls her to his bedroom. And as she's presenting the the bread to him, he grabs her, and then his lust pilfers that which does not belong to him. Then Abnon said to Tamar, bring the food into the chamber that I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the cakes she had made and brought them into the chamber to Amnon, her brother, very innocently. But when she brought them near him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, Come, lie with me, my sister. And you can imagine the, the, the fear and the worry on her face as she answered him, No, my brother, do not violate me, for such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this outrageous thing. And she begs and pleads with him. The law of God was clear that a man is not to lie with a woman that he's not married to. And here Tamar 
has far more integrity than than her brother does or that her father does. She wants to obey the law of God. She begged him not to shame her. She told him he would be a fool to do this. She even tells, tells him, look, ask the king for my hand in marriage. The king won't withhold me from you. And maybe she thought, if I can just get out of here, this will be my way of escape. And surely the king won't do that. I don't know. But he would not listen to her, and being stronger than she, he violated her and lay with her. And then Amnon hated her with greater hatred, so that he hated with so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, Get up, go. And he had a servant throw her out of his house and bolt the door behind her. And Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the long robe that she wore. She had a long multicolored robe that the daughters of the king would wear. And she laid her hand on her head and went away crying aloud as she went. This is the Eastern way of showing extreme grief. She went to Absalom's house for asylum. And her brother Absalom said to her, Has Amnon, your brother, been with you? I think he knew Amnon's desires and intentions here. But he quietly says, Now hold your peace, my sister. He tries to calm her and comfort her. He is your brother. Do not take this to heart. So Tamar lived a desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house. And we don't know if she ever really recovered from this incident. It is even possible that grief led to her death. We do know that Absalom later had a daughter that he named Tamar, which might have been in memory of, of his sister. But more importantly now, what was David's response? What was her father's response to this violation? Verse 21, when King David heard of all these things, he was very angry. And so he should have been but he did nothing about it. How could he? It would be difficult for him to say much because his son could throw it right back in his face. But father, look at what you did to Bathsheba. Look at all these wives that you have. Who are you to tell me, the crown prince, that I can't have whoever I want? David's sin gives license for his son Amnon to do the same thing, like father, like son. A.W. Tozer observes that God frequently punishes sin in its own kind. Liars often get lied to. Robbers often uh, uh, are robbed. Jacob, remember, was a great deceiver. He deceived his father and got the birthright away from his brother Esau. Then he had to flee for his life. He went to live with, with his, uh, I believe it was his uncle Laban. And Laban was a greater deceiver than Jacob was. And Laban deceived him time and time and time again. And then the sons of, of uh, Jacob also deceived him when they came with Joseph's torn and bloody coat and said, we're sorry, but a wild animal has killed your son. We don't know where he is. When they had actually sold him to Ishmaelites as a slave. Pharaoh killed the innocent babies of, of the Jewish people because they were growing too much and, 
He didn't want his slaves to rise up and revolt against him. And when God began to deal with Pharaoh, one of the plagues was that the firstborn in all of Egypt would be destroyed. And then after that, Pharaoh's army goes into the Red Sea and they are, they are annihilated. Death is met with death. David's sins will haunt him for the rest of his days and his sons will do the same sins but only worse than him. His lust and immorality here are, are shown in Amnon. His murder and rebellion against God's word come out in Absalom. His polygamy comes out far worse in Solomon. The sins of the fathers often will visit the children to wreak havoc and destruction. In my own family, it, as I go back in, in the family tree, it's generation after generation after generation of alcoholic men in the family. And at 16 years old, before I was saved, I was right on that same trajectory. Numbers 14, 18 says, The Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he by no means clears the guilty, in other words, those that don't repent, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Their sin is perpetuated in generation after generation. And it's a warning fathers and mothers to Beware, because any unbridled sin in our lives will inevitably stab our own hearts, and it will, because it will appear in our own children. Verse 22, but Absalom spoke to Amnon, neither good or bad, but for Absalom hated Amnon because he had violated his sister Tamar. And so this combustible anger is burning in Absalom for two long years until the opportunity is ripe for revenge. Part one of this story, Amnon violates Tamar. Now part two, Absalom murders Amnon. After two full years, Absalom had sheep shears at Baal Hazor, which is near Ephraim. And Absalom invited all the king's sons. So this sheep shearing season would, would mark the end of, of a harvest time. And when the, the shearing was finished, all of the, the servants and family that had gathered together for that occasion would then have a big celebration and a feast. I well remember growing up in New Brunswick at the end of potato harvest, we would, uh, the schools would let us out, of, out for like a two-week vacation to pick potatoes. That's how you're supposed to say it. It's not potatoes, it's potatoes. And we would pick potatoes for two weeks, and then we'd stay out another week of school and pick potatoes. And when we were done, then it was time for celebration. And at the old Terra Hall in, in Johnville, which is an Irish Roman Catholic community, every year I remember the harvest supper that the ladies would put on there. It would be like a, a Thanksgiving meal with the turkeys and all the fixings and every kind of pie you could imagine. And for a buck twenty-five, you could eat all that you wanted to. It was a time to celebrate at the end of the harvest. And this is what, what uh, Absalom and, and uh, his family and his servants are doing. So he invited David to the sheep shearing celebration. David declines. And he says, no, my son, I won't come with all my servants and entourage and put more burden on you. So in verse 26, Absalom said then, 
If not, if you won't come, Father, please let my brother Amnon go with us. And the king said, why should he go with you? It's like a yellow flag has gone up here. He's, a, he's uneasy about this request. Like, Absalom, are, are you up to something here? But Absalom is a very convincing man. He's a, he's a, a talker, a manipulator. Verse 27, he, he pressed David until he let Amnon and all the king's sons go with him. He changed David's mind, perhaps to think, well, maybe time has healed things. Uh, maybe there's some reconciliation going on here. This, this is a good sign. This is a good thing. With all of my sons going, surely no harm would come to Amnon. And he couldn't have been more wrong. He should have listened to that little voice in his heart. And for the second time, now he becomes an unwilling accessory to a horrific crime in his own family. He is partly responsible here for the death of his son because he didn't put the brakes on, because he was not discerning, because he didn't go to the Lord to to get any uh, wisdom on this. Then Absalom commanded his servants, Mark when Abnon's heart is merry with wine. And when I say to you, strike Abnon, then kill him. Do not fear, have I not commanded you? Be courageous and be valiant. And so he did to Amnon what David did to Uriah. He used other people to do his dirty work, just as David used Joab. David wanted Uriah dead. Absalom wanted Amnon dead for, for two reasons. Most of all, because of revenge, what he did to Tamar. But secondly, perhaps because it then put him in position to be the crown prince, the next in line. So Amnon is murdered, how? By the sword, just as the prophecy had said. The sons of David mount their mules and and flee for their lives. The great joy and celebration has turned to calamity and weeping. And David is reaping what he has sowed. The prophecy is being fulfilled. The sword has come now to the first of three of his sons that will fall by it. Amnon is dead. Tamar has been violated and left desolate. The house of David is torn. And this is just the beginning of woes. Was it worth it, David? Do you see where your lust has taken you? That a little leaven has leavened your whole family? That you didn't get away with it like you thought you would? And neither can we get away with it. These things are written, the Bible says, for our learning. Why is this story in the Bible? I think that that we might be spared the same heartache and calamity that was suffered by David because of his unbridled lust. So the chapter ends with Absalom fleeing to his grandfather's house, who's the king of Geshur. And that tells us that David was married to uh, a Gentile woman. His mother's name was Maaka, Absalom's mother. She's not Jewish. And so there's, this is one more area where David has broken the law of God, where he's, he is unequally yoked. 
And the fruit of that union is this son, Absalom, who is a rebel, who's just beginning his evil works. He is next going to try to usurp the kingdom from David and attempt to kill David and take over the kingdom. These things are written for our learning, that we should not do the same. Again, the Bible is clear, not just the Old Testament, but in the New, in 2 Corinthians 6.14, do not be unequally yoked, believer. Don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? And young people, and young men, and young women, I exhort you, do not compromise. Stand your ground on the word of God and wait on the God of the word. And don't let lust ruin your destiny. Immorality is a titanic problem in our society today. It may be the number one problem. What is the solution? It's not enough for me to stand here and preach about it and tell you, stop it, stop it. How do you overcome the pleasures of sin? And again, as we've said time and time again, the, the greatest way is by getting such a taste of the sweetness and the goodness of God that the pleasures of sin become like sewage in comparison. Linda and I listened to a, a devotional each morning by John uh, Piper. It's a, like a two-minute thing. You can read it or, or you can listen to him speak it online. And this past Thursday, the devotional was on how to defy sinful desire. And I'd like to share uh, this devotion with you in, in conclusion today. The text for it was Hebrews eleven twenty four through 26. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God, with the slaves of Egypt, the Jewish people, than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than all the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. And Piper boils this, these verses down to three little phrases. By faith, Moses left the pleasures of sin. Remember, he's, he's the adopted grandson of Pharaoh. He lives in comfort and riches. He has anything he could want. He leaves the fleeting pleasures of sin, for he was looking for the reward of what? Of knowing Christ, of, of loving Christ, of serving Christ. Faith is not content with fleeting pleasures. It is ravenous for joy, joy that lasts forever. And the word of God says, In your presence, Lord, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. Psalm 1611. At the right hand of God, the right hand of majesty is the Lord Jesus. There is our joy. Piper goes on to say, so faith won't be sidetracked into the deceitful pleasures of sin, like David was sidetracked by lying with Bathsheba, like Amnon was sidetracked by violating Tamar. Faith will not give up so easily in its quest for maximum joy. The role of God's word is to feed faith's appetite for God. That's why it's so important to be reading and meditating and memorizing the word of God. 
And in doing this, it weans my heart off of the deceptive taste of lust. At first, lust begins to trick me into feeling that I would really miss out on some great satisfaction if I followed the path of purity. But then he says, I take up the sword of the word of God and I begin to fight. And I read that it's better to gouge out my eye than to lust, Matthew 5, 29. And I read that if I think about things that are pure and lovely and just and, and good and wholesome, that the peace of God will be with me, Philippians 4, 8 and 9. And I read that setting my mind on the flesh brings death, but setting the mind on the spirit brings life and peace, Romans 8, 6. I read that lust wages war against my soul, 1 Peter 2, 11, and that the pleasures of this uh, life choke out the life of the spirit, Luke 8, 14. But best of all, I read that God withholds no good thing from those who walk uprightly. Psalm 84, 11, one of my favorite psalms. And that the pure in heart will see God, Matthew 5, 8. And Piper says, as I pray for my faith to be satisfied with God's life and peace, the sword of the Spirit carves the sugar coating off the poison of lust. The sword of the Spirit carves the sugar coating off the poison of lust. And I see it for what it is. And by the grace of God, its alluring power is broken. May we see the poisonous, sugar-coated pill of lust for what it is. David's lust, again, gave his sons license to do likewise. And it scarred his innocent daughter for life and left her desolate. And it ripped his family apart. Humpty David sat on a wall. Humpty David had a great fall. And all the king's horses and all the king's men could not put David's family together again. A little leaven can leaven your whole family. As it did David's, don't let it do so to yours. Lord, help us to take to heart today the principles and the boundaries and the commandments and the lessons of this scripture. Oh God, help us to do war against the flesh, the devil, and the world. Help us to be overcomers with the sword of the Spirit and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Lord, we want to live pure and holy lives before you, but you know how weak and frail and susceptible we are to sin and to its attractions. So help us to see, Lord, be below the sugar coating, to see how poisonous and toxic that it is, that it is, it is sewage. And we need to be as far from it as we can. Give us power, we pray, in the Holy Spirit to glorify you, O God, with pure hearts and pure minds and pure lives. In Christ's name, amen.